The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it may not surprise you, but it, it's a disappointment to my wife that I'm not much of a dancer. Um, I find it awkward and unnatural. I look awkward and unnatural. And um, I read something by the theologian and Christian writer J.I. Packer about a time when he was in college. There was a fellowship group that he was part of, and one member of this fellowship the fellowship group wanted to teach them liturgical dance and she said now when the music starts just move your limbs in a way that seemed natural to you and so he said the other students started to uh, shimmy and flap their hands and hop around but he just sat there he says like a glum dummy because what is natural for him is not to dance to music but to listen to the music to stop and then he makes this point being natural is not a matter of what other people are doing or what they expect you to do. Being natural is something that flows from inside of you. As he puts it, what one's own inner nature prompts. I thought about that because in Romans chapter 7, Paul is arguing that it's not natural for a Christian to live in sin. But it's natural for a Christian to live for God. In Romans chapter 6, he's responding to a question. Now, he's made the case in chapter 5 that a person is justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that we are righteous in the eyes of God by grace through faith. And so the question arises, why not keep on sinning if we're saved by grace through faith? As he puts it, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound. By no means. His argument is that it's not natural for a Christian to live in sin. It's natural for a Christian to seek to please God. Why does Paul teach this? Well, the basis of this idea is that Christians are united to Jesus Christ, their Savior. And in Jesus, we see this pattern of death to sin, and life to God. You see that in verse 10, for the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We are united to Jesus Christ. We don't just have ideas about Jesus. We share in the life of Christ. And what we see in the life of Christ is this pattern. Death to sin and self, and life to God. Paul says that our baptism is a sign of this. Verse 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk or we might live in newness of life. Baptism is a sign of this pattern. So whether you had water sprinkled over you when you were a baby or whether you were immersed in water, the waters of baptism signify a kind of death. 
the drowning. Then a raising to life, a fresh start. Not that the baptism does this in a magical sort of way. We have to have faith in Christ. But the point is, if you've been baptized and if you have faith in Christ, this is your identity. This is who you are. You're in Christ. So Paul is saying to the one who might hear his message about justification by grace through faith, Paul is saying to the Christian who might say to that, well, then I'll just go ahead and live in sin because I'm covered by grace. He would say, that's not who you are. That's not your nature. Live out your baptismal identity. You are now in Christ. Not only have you been baptized into Christ, Paul says we've been crucified with Christ. Verse 6, we know that our old self, that is our sinful nature, was crucified with him. Verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. Our sinful nature was nailed to the tree of Calvary. And so we are to conform our lives to this pattern we see in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew Henry put it this way, as Christ died for our sin, so we should die to sin. Christ died for sin, we're called to die to sin. Now, you might be thinking, well, Ben, that, that sounds good, that sounds wonderful, but I can tell you, and my spouse can certainly tell you, and maybe would be happy to tell you, that I still struggle with sin. Well, Paul talks about his own struggle with sin, too, doesn't he? In Romans chapter 7, when he says, I don't do the good that I know I should do. Instead, I do the evil that I really don't want to do. It's not I who do it, he says, but the sin that dwells in me. My true self is not my sinful self, Paul is saying. And that's true for all Christians who've been given this new nature. But Paul was realistic about the struggle with sin. And yet he says, sin does not need to be an enslaving power for those who are in Christ. Yes, we struggle with sin, but it doesn't have to dominate us. See that in verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I've heard this illustration before of a war. Think of a country that has won a war. They've declared victory. The opposing country has surrendered and signed a surrender agreement. And yet there are still people in the country who are fighting. There are still pockets of resistance. There's still guerrilla warfare going on. And so the victorious country has to sweep through the country in a kind of mopping up operation so that there will be total victory. Well, brothers and sisters, through Christ we have been given the victory over sin and death, but we're still in a fight against sin. There's still a, has to be a mopping up operation. And we won't experience complete and total victory until glory. But we don't fight as defeated enemies. We don't fight as defeated enemies. Someone might say, well, it's just my nature. 
It's just my personality to be an angry person and to lash out at my spouse or my children. Or it's just my personality to, to dominate other people or to try to control them. You should see my Enneagram or my uh, Myers-Briggs profile. That, that's why I am the way I am. Or it's just the lust of the flesh, which is very natural. What's the big deal with pornography? Everybody is doing it. The gossip, the slander, that, that's just the way I was raised. That's how it's always been. It's just I was born this way. This is how our spiritual enemy wants us to think. He wants us to give up the fight, throw in the towel, and to lead, live a, a defeated and depressed Christian life. But Paul would say to us, remember who you are. You're a baptized child of God. You are united to the risen Christ. His life is in you. And his life gives you power, supernatural power, to live this new life. How do we live out this identity that Christ has given us? Well, it starts in our thinking. And that's where Paul directs us at the end of this passage in verse 11. He says you need to think about yourself in a particular way. Verse 11, you must also consider or count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul's using a continual tense here of the verb. So he's saying, I want you to always think about yourself this way. Dead to sin, alive to God. Remember who you are. I read a parenting book a while ago, and it talked about this father who would always pray for his children before he sent them off to school. And as they were going out the door, he would say, remember who you are. Because our identity influences our behavior, influences our desires. We are, Paul says, in Christ. That's an important part of this. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus, he says. We are in Christ. So the strength and the grace and the power to live without the chains of sin dragging us around constantly comes from Christ. Christian obedience, the Christian life, is not DIY. It is doing that with Christ, in Christ. We need Christ for salvation. And we need Christ for sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart for God and His service. So in our struggle with sin, we go to Christ in prayer. We confess and we repent and we're strengthened by His Word and His sacrament. And we share our struggles with our brothers and sisters who are also in Christ and are also struggling. This is all part of the new life that God has given us. And so, brothers and sisters, let's ask ourselves this question. Are there ways of thinking, behaving, are there ways of relating to others that is not really natural to the life that Christ has given me? And the answer to that question for all of us, of course, is yes. There's still areas we need to work on. There's still this mopping up operation that needs to happen. Will you and I bring it to Christ in prayer? In prayers of repentance? In prayers for grace and strength? Will we make an effort to fight against 
The sinful nature, there, that's where Paul goes after this in verses 12 through 13, where he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Are there areas in your life or my life where I've let sin kind of take over, where I've thrown in the towel? If so, we are living below the life that Christ has given us. Of all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. It might have been that that depressed Christian who lives in a constant cloud of gloom might have discovered joy and freedom. It might have been that that angry man who tends to lash out would have grown in gentleness and kindness. It might have been that the addict's chains would have fallen off. It might have been that more people would be attracted to Jesus if I looked a little more like Jesus. Now Paul says, as I said earlier, that the struggle is real when it comes to sin. There really is a struggle. Paul struggled. We struggle. And that's why as you move from Romans chapter 6 into Romans chapter 7, where he's realistic about the struggle, and you get to Romans chapter 8, that's such a breath of fresh air, which starts this way, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation because God accepts me not based on what I do, but based on what he has done for me in Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation because Jesus bore the guilt and shame for my sin, my past, my present, and my future sin on the cross. There is no condemnation because my obedience to God is not a way to earn God's love, but it's a response to His love. And living this life is not trying to do it in our strength, trying to become something we're not. It's drawing on the strength of Christ to become more and more like Him, the one who died for our sins so we might live for God. Amen. Lord, I do pray that you help us examine ourselves in your presence and um, identify aspects of our character that fall short of the life that you have given to us. Help us not to make excuses. Help us to be honest with ourselves and bring it into your light and confess it. And to draw upon your strength, your forgiveness, your grace to move forward. We thank you for the work that you have done in our life to shape us and mold us and make us more mature. We know there's work to do. We trust in you to do that. And we thank you for the promise of glory when this fight and struggle will be over. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Truth. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. 